All those different things. So it's like, great, you know the one-to-one, you might know the one-to-few, but is it like their one-to-one, their few-to-few? And like all of those different elements, like just, just kind of thinking about like what that customer journey, what that customer experience is going to be. And like, there are all of these different things that ultimately need to be validated. And, and I feel like, you know, you can have a lot of hypotheses about them, but if you haven't gone basically about validating them, um, it, 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 like then you don't you don't necessarily know. And that's going to be a risk in, the, in basically doing I also think like there's a time element. Welcome to the Just Larson Show, where I interview innovators and leaders. Today on the show is part two of our interview with Elliot Gatagno. Elliot, in part one, we talked a lot about your career background and all the time at helping start universities in China and Ross School of Business in Michigan, Minerva, uh, your time at On Deck, and, and our mutual friend, Canvas Factor over at Disco. I'm really interested, as you think about what you see coming in the next years in the learning field, specifically learning tech or learning business. What are some of the trends that maybe people who don't do this all day every day might not be spotting? Sure. As, as we're talking about in the previous previous part of the show, um, a lot of it was on what hybrid is ultimately going to be. And then I think the one thing that we didn't get uh, to talk about is really how to basically use technology and how we're going to be able to use technology to ultimately, I would say, get in practice in doing things. And so I think that like you can take a look at medical education is really on the on the forefront here and being able to use things such as, you know, virtual regality and being able to like, well, I don't necessarily I don't need to use a cadaver anymore for like the first part of things. I can basically do things and ultimately in VR and AR. And so like this is this is incredibly her early work, but it is, you know, in an area with, we could say, incredibly high risk of going wrong. I mean, an incredibly high importance has been immediately adapted for, you know, for a variety of reasons of sort of cost, ease, efficacy of learning, etc. And so like the next level and sort of incorporating, I would say, like things along the lines of, of VR and AR in, in learning is going to be things in like as simple as like, you know, shipping in, in logistics and sort of mechanical training. And so it recently at University of of Michigan, you know, so built out a fully basically virtual reality and augmented reality nuclear reactor to start training people that are going to be operating nuclear reactors and needing to do this. And so now if you're going through the, the master's of engineering, undergraduate engineering program, you'll get to, you know, and this is the area that you're going to be wanting to go in is before you'd be reading about things, you'd never actually get to interact with like the physical object, but now you'll be able to go through in virtual environments and, and do things along these lines. So like this is in like the relatively hard skill training where we see things going from, you know, okay, it's relatively some sort of a simulation online. It's still like this level removed to know you feel like you're, you're really there. And I would say the same thing we could take a look at, I would expect to be starting to happen more and more in areas of like, say, business education. So a core tenant of business education in, in most places is going to be a case study. And then in some areas, you're lucky if you get some sort of like real consulting experience. For example, University of Michigan at Ross School of Business sort of pioneered 30 plus years ago um, a program called MAP, which is Multidisciplinary Action Programs, which is experiential learning. You get put on to a, a sort of a quarter long a consulting project as a team and you get to work on that and you get that. And so that's like one quarter of your MBA, which is great, but that's only like one fraction of it. And so we've got like a case study, which is at least reading about real things. And then like you get shipped off to do some sort of an internship or a real practical experience. But like, what's that hybrid experience going to ultimately be looking like? And so, and then within that hybrid experience, like how do you break it down even further? And so like, I think the, the 
what's what's exciting to me is going to be all of the different types of simulation and, and basically training that are going to basically that are going to that are starting to come into place. I mean, you could say through the use of AR and VR that are going to able enable people to get lots of repetitions and lots of practice on all of those different things that they want to apply in the, the sort of the real world, but break it down. So like um, one of the the sort of the, the most exciting things that that I've seen in kind of the business ed- education is uh, is a is a company called Mersion, and they're doing things with basically like simulated experiences, common experiences that you're going to basically be having as a as a business leader. And so, for example, you would be sitting down in a virtual reality environment and engaging with an avatar for a, a challenging conversation you might have. It might be a high, it might be a firing conversation. It might be a performance review conversation, so on and so forth. And then this this is going to and the um, you are going to be a real person, but you'll be engaging in an avatar, and you'll basically go through a series of different scenarios and get and basically chain, trained and in, into like how to basically act and appropriately respond. So. Yeah. I can think of a bunch of applications for that already, but but one of them I'm thinking of is sales, right? Yeah, there, there people have people are so worried about looking dumb, people are so worried about rejection and things like this. Like the idea of like systematic desensitization, yeah. like being able to go through that with in some AR or some VR opportunity, like over and over until it's not painful anymore before you go do it in the real world, and over and over like trying on the regular objections from your industry. You know, like having the senior sales reps from the company load in. Hey, here's the kind of problems you're going to be up against, and like. Having gone through that all virtually before you have to do it in the real world, right? Are there companies that you feel like are better than others in this space or who do you feel like the leaders are? Yeah, a- absolutely. And so like in the area that you're looking, I think like that, that that's the that you're talking about right now is actually like the next extension uh, of different things. And so one to, 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 to go into the, that area, I would say, I think a company that's called Sybil and I'll also do after the show. So the, the specific pronunciation and information on the website, but it's, it's basically machine learning that's based in, in AI. Uh, that's applied to Zoom calls. And so they record the different Zoom calls and then you get all these different data analytics um, on how your performance is as a, is basically an SDR. And you're knowing that like, you know, it'd be saying that like, hey, Elliot has talked for 72% of this, you know, basically meeting and, you know, Jess engaged at five minutes and seven minutes and had a smile at this point, had a frown at this point and looked confused and give you all of these different analytics from it, which is incredible feedback to be able to get in, in objective ways. Of, of course, it all has to do with like the parameters that are that are basically set but i think just again in terms of like education and training like that that's the that's the next step you know that's, that's basically in there now that was like i would say like a common criticism i think it's I think it's always good to to call out like say going back to the training in ar and vr it's just like well like why would you ever want to do that like i don't want to engage in an avatar or i don't want to engage in anything along these lines but what it does is it goes back to this this basically kind of like a step-by-step learning process this is it can be really intimidating for a student especially depending on the cultural background to be coming in to be able to get trained and doing a sales call. And so like being able to train with a professor or an experienced sales rep, et cetera, whatever it might be, could be really uncomfortable. Training with an avatar though, gives this like level of, you could say like relative ease and also relative comfort. It's just like, ah, this is not a real person. Whatever I say, it's okay. It's going to be, you know, something that's simulated. So what it does is enables people to ultimately like build up confidence. And then when you're really, then you can get into the real thing and then you're getting into the real area and then have these different tools, whatever it might be, to help you go even further faster. 
Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. So many, so many ideas, so many comments that brings up. Maybe I'll, because I mean, one of the things that it does bring up is I, one of my learning experiences, so I'm an art school dropout who got headhunted into, into investment banking, not the, not the typical route, right? I had to go through like all these extra interviews because I didn't have an MBA, right? But, and so part of my like feeling like I don't measure up is like later I went and took classes at Stanford and Harvard and stuff like this later in life. And the, I took the private equity venture capital course at Harvard and where they like basically take a whole semester and cram it into one week. You work, you go to class like seven to seven, right? They had this simulation though of running a venture fund and they basically compress 10 years into like four days of the class. Okay. And you're on a team with like three, four, five or gals. And you have to like go check the computer like three times a day. And like you made these investments, all these things. And then like it simulates like, an, you know, you know, every like eight hours, another year goes by. And like some of your businesses have lost market share. Some of your businesses went out of business. Somebody had an ex- unexpected benefit happen. And like I had was running a fund at the time. And so it wasn't quite as revolutionary for me, but I was shocked at how much these people because it was so it was founders limited partner investors and fund managers that was the only people who could get in the class right and those other two groups that hadn't run a fund were just like i had no idea this is what it was like and that i mean that just completely changed and i was on it was like a they were like my teenage boys who were addicted to xbox right these these grown adults were like addicted to the game and it was like this emotional roller coaster of like they're up millions they're down millions right and so to me like i can see so much of a benefit of being able to have folks who are you know making huge financial decisions or like we've done our consulting firms with a lot of leadership training in the department of defense specifically in special operations command and like when you know deadly situations like people being able to practice a lot ahead of time is is a survival increaser right okay so i'm thinking as you've been talking i'm thinking okay what is the audience that i would most want to help like what's the thing i could like really engage in so i want to get your advice so if if i was going to do some like live learning thing. I think what I'd be most passionate about is, and maybe this is even too niche, but I'm thinking like entrepreneurs who either already have an action sports brand or who are like pros, you know, who are saying, hey, what's the next level of career here? Kind of thing, like outdoor adventures, board riders specifically, okay? And I'm thinking of like my background, just like being completely obsessed with Warren Buffett and then like innovation materials like IDEO and and kind of that remix innovation style, right? And then marketing and saying like, I could I could get passionate for years helping these folks apply like Warren Buffett's investment principles, like content marketing, media marketing, and then also kind of the remix innovation of like, let's do something that let's not be a me too brand. You know, let's do something that's genuine. Like I could see myself loving that spending, like I could see, I could see it being worth taking time away from work. Like specifically with our commercial real estate fund, our big, our big brand is this actioncabins.com where we're doing these tiny house adventure cabins and glamping tents by ski resorts, surfing beaches and stuff. Okay. So let's say I know my audience. I've spent, you know, maybe a decade and a half preparing, learning this material. I've used it a lot myself. Just with that premise, what would, what kind of advice would you have for me if I, I don't know if I'll do this, but if I was actually going to do it, what are you, what are my next steps? So, you know, it's, it's interesting thing. You said a couple of things in there and then I would, that I would immediately just start throwing in the, the, the sort of questions just to be the contrarian. And so like one of them is, is, you know, your audience. And then I would say, you know, like it, it's like, do you, and how do you, I think that many of the times people like know their audiences in a particular way. And then when it comes time to wanting to know your audience, like as a learner, and then in this case, likely as an adult learner and whatever it might be, then there's 
there's all of these new things that you ultimately end up learning about them. And so like, for for example, I, I work with and do a lot of, I would say like executive education or entrepreneur and educating like practicing entrepreneurs and, and people that are founders running their own company. And so like very intelligent, high, you know, basically performing people that are also wanting to engage in, in relatively, uh, for whatever reason, academic work. And, and so like getting them to turn in something, getting them to let you would, one would never think it's like, oh, you just got to like write up the summary of all the different things that you're thinking about and whatever it might be impossible. Might as well be asking them like, yeah, can I just like, you know, get a flight to the moon this afternoon or something that it, that it might be just like in that basic thing. And it's just like, like, hmm, okay. Like never would have thought about, thought this about their group. Just like given like the volume of productivity, like these people write, these people put out articles, these people do all of these different things. But so it's like, not like, like there were, there all the signs are there. So like kind of going back to the thing is like the first thing that I would be doing is like really validate your audience in the specific way that you plan to engage with them and then like thinking and go from there. So that would be like the, the okay, so one. I feel like I've got a start on that, but maybe not enough. So I got a CEO coach maybe like 13, 14 years ago. It completely changed my marriage. It completely changed my relationship with my staff, everything. So then I got certified and I started coaching other CEOs just for fun, even though I didn't, didn't need the money. And then I ended up going to a consulting firm for a few years and doing it. So I've done like thousands of hours of CEO coaching over the last decade. Um, a bit, you know, maybe like 20% executives of large companies, 80% entrepreneurs. And so like I have a, so I feel like I have that part of the like, I know what it's like to work with this population. But but something I haven't done, for instance, is like peer-to-peer teaching. Like I could see if this was going to scale at all. Like I'm not going to coach them. They need to coach, like they need to coach each other. And then there needs to be enough accountability that they actually do something about what they talked about. Or and like, it's, it's, why did you even come here? It's all those different things. So it's like, great, you know, the one-to-one, you might know the one-to-few, but is it like their one-to-one, their few-to-few and like all of those different elements, like just, just kind of thinking about like what that customer journey, what that customer experience is going to be. And like, there are all of these different things that ultimately need to be validated. And, and I feel like, you know, you can have a lot of hypotheses about them, but if you haven't gone and ba- basically about validating them, um, it, 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 like then you don't, you don't necessarily know. And that's going to be a risk in the, in basically doing it. I also think like there's a time element of it as well. Like right now is a particularly challenging point in time to be launching and trying to do things in the online world. You know, you might be paying attention. There are many companies and organizations, I mean, generally in tech that are doing layoffs, but like you could say specifically in things related to education that are, that are going to be, that are needing to drastically pivot. And this is because I think that, you know, maybe we're coming on the other end, hopefully of a pandemic and people have been online for such a long period of time and they're wanting to get back into the real world. They're wanting to get back into to people to people and face-to-face interactions that are going to be happening IRL. And and accordingly, like I, I don't think at all online education is going to be going in the in going away in the least bit. I do think that the way that it's basically been happening over the past two years and then pre-pandemic, it needs to it, this is just another yet another inflection point. So like again, knowing like the attitudes and behaviors of of that audience, the way that it was pre, the way that it was during the pandemic, I think now we're at another one of these changing points. And again, like you can look at it uh, loving, you know, if you're a a fan of Warren Buffett, it's like, what is it, you know, be be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy type of a thing. I think this is that time. I think this is this moment in time from an online learning point of view is many people are going to be really, uh, you know, fearful of like, oh gosh, like not sure is this going away or going back to the way things. I think actually no, but it's going to be like where, where to ultimately be greedy and where to go. And there's a, there's a huge opportunity for that market at this moment 
in time. Yeah, it's it's interesting how much emotional control it takes, though, to be greedy when others are fearful, right? To to not have their emotions become contagious for us, right? Mm-hmm. And to spot the opportunity in the chaos instead of getting swept up in the chaos, right? Yeah, and I think that, like, you know, people are going to be attracted no matter what to compelling experiences. Having, like, been fortunate in being able to to do a lot of things out in the real world doing during the pandemic and, and also at the same time being pretty hybrid, uh, I think people realize like, oh goodness, like doing a lot of those things, it's, it's relatively exhausting. It's relatively costly. There's all these, these elements. Actually, I'd, I'd much just rather do whatever this is online. I'd rather like this part of things I can, I can certainly do online. And so, but it's figuring out how, how to put those, those different things um, ultimately together and, and make them work really well. Also like thinking about if someone's saying like, oh, I want to be doing a, like putting together a course right now and, and launching something. I'd like, we're coming up on the summer in the, you know, in the U.S. and many places in the world. And this is historically just a challenging season that where people like are not necessarily wanting to as much. Like you have summer programs and education, but also like this is this, this moment in time where many people are wanting to actually know I'm going to be going on vacations and doing this and really going ahead and thinking and carrying up in the fall. And so like I, the other other thing that I be I would be saying the first thing is like is now the right time for like what you want to be doing? Is there like a seasonal element to what what it is that you're wanting to be doing? For example, like new year, new you. So does it make sense to spend the next 6-7 months really planning for a January 2023 kickoff and then, you know, doing lots of small whatever it is and to to build that audience, build that community in similar ways we we're talking about that on deck did to launch something in like, you know, a, a brand new way in in 2023 in January when that that might be like the best kind of time seasonally. And so that's like, that's another thing about it. Like people don't necessarily think there there are seasons when when people want to be doing things and there are, you know, I would say like, you know, good seasons and then times that are also potentially less optimal as well. It's it's obvious you've done a lot of thinking in this space. I, I'm interested in your thought because I do feel like so often the difference between somebody who's informed but someone who's an expert is, mm-hmm. the, is the nuances, right? It's like a lot of people can get the broad brushes, but it's the nuances that make all the difference. Like I did competitive judo my teenage years, right? You can learn, you can teach anybody the basics of a judo move in minutes. Like it's not, they're, they're not, they're, they're largely gross motor movements. They're not super technical in that sense, but teaching somebody how to read a situation and like sweep the foot just just like a second before, not a second, a fraction of a second before it hits the mat when they're putting all their weight on it, but it doesn't have any stability yet, right? Like that, those nuances or the like how you, you, you push them just a little bit. So then they'll lean in forward to you before you pull them, you know, like you can tell somebody that, but it takes those meaningful repetitions and the failures to, to get those nuances. And like your point about timing of like, this could be interesting, but all those other things aside, is this the right time of year to launch it? I don't think that there's a lot of folks from outside the space that that would be a natural question. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things like the word, the experience is just coming from, you know, like failure and having done it, you know, basically done it a lot. And then co- coming back with like the thing that, you know, that one really can't ultimately know something unless they've, they've basically done it and they've, they've had that, you know, they've, they've had that, that interaction. So like you were mentioning IDEO and, and, and kind of, and being a fan of the, the sort of methods and design thinking. And, and like, I am too, this is something I teach. And I think like one of the things that people um, are, are like misunderstand so often about, let's say like the empathizing and the design research and whatever one might want to like sort of call that for a point with that, that using a terminology 
But like this, the common misunderstanding that, that I see in, in the concept at large is this area of just like research and empathy and understanding your audience. Many people will say like, oh, I've done a survey. Like I understand like what my audience is. And I, and I, so like I, I've got the data and I'm now going to act off of that dirt, that data. But like one of the things that for design thinking is ultimately that, you know, you have to work off of a totally different theory of what knowledge is. And so with that theory, it's basically like, well, that survey data is useless. That's not data. That's just basically thought people's thought experiences. But you, the only way that you're going to be able to get data and something to be able to make a decision off of is going to be from like a real interaction and then a real observation with this, with an interaction and whatever it might be. And so like, accordingly, that's where the, you know, just sort of get out there and just kind of build something and, and test something. And then you're able to go, go and ultimately see. And that's where all these other things just is like, oh yeah, this is absolutely fantastic. This is the ideal course that I want. But you know what? It's like, it's the week after Thanksgiving and um, just like, just really tired. So like, let's just push that back like one week or like, let's do that. And so like, then you start thinking like, oh, is this, is this the right time? And like, you know, what, whatever it should be. And then like, all these sort of peripheral questions just are perpetually running out. And then you're just like list of things to think about, list of things to ultimately do and make sure, yes, I've, I've sort of checked that box. And then there's also like the known um, knowns. And then there's also the, the known unknowns and then the leaving room for the unknown unknowns as well. And so just, just part of, the, I think, the, the strategic planning uh, process for all these things. One of my favorite questions to ask, I, I don't have many repeated questions, but one that I have really enjoyed asking over and over is, what's one of the best pieces of advice you ever received? Ooh, I would probably one, one that I'd want to think about for a, a long time. But like one of the, like one thing that just popped into my head, and so I'll just go with the first one, which is never the right answer, but it's one is, uh, so it's going back to, going back to where, where we started the show is I have a background as a, as a classical musician. And what, what instrument, and by the way? Saxophone. And so one of the things that, you know, basically learned very early on from, from my teacher at that time was you want to listen from the other side of the horn. And so what that's basically meaning is like for you as a musician, you hear things like in a very specific way, which is like with, but, but the sound, the, the sound and all the different things is actually totally perceived differently by the audience. And so like, you don't want to be listening. You don't want to be doing things from like your perspective. You want to be doing things in a way that's like great from your audience perspective. And so like what this usually means as a musician, like you have to like exaggerate, like as a, when you're before, this is kind of going the difference between the, the amateur and the expert maybe is like, you have to exaggerate whatever it is that you're doing far more than you might ever realize. Because like you think what you're doing is like, oh, it's so obvious. This is this or this is this. But from your audience's perspective, it's just like, well, maybe, maybe that was intentional. Maybe that was accident. Ah, I'm kind of confused. And so like you, you need your audience to know that like whatever it was, was, was deliver it, deliver it in that specific way. So like this concept of like, you know, listening from the other side of the horn, really empathizing with your audience in, in, a, in a way that, you know, that makes sense for them in, in walking in their shoes, something that kind of, you know, sticks out. Yeah, that's great advice. Listen, I appreciate all the time you spent with me today. Where's the best place for people to connect with you online? Connect with me on LinkedIn. That's great. Um, any any parting comments? Any anything we missed? What's what's a good way to close? Yeah, I mean, I would just like to give parting things. Like, I, I'd I'd hope leave, leaving people curious to maybe tug on some of these individual threads if you're you know interested in what it might be like to start and you know your own online learning empire as the Disco team is talking about. You know, hit them up. Don't be afraid to to reach out and and basically try try to start doing it. If you're wanting to like experience what some of these different courses are and what it might be. 
like like sign up. There's nothing like kind of trying out some different things, whether it's an on-deck program, whether it's through different things. I feel like, you know, as you're also thinking, as you were just talking about a moment ago, Jess, like what's that course? What's that thing that like I might be able to do? There's usually no better way, at least in my experience, to figure out that because then you start to think like, oh, this is all the stuff that like I love about this experience. And these are all the things that I hate and that I could make it better. And just kind of keeping that that little bug list and that log of things. And, and that will likely start to help you take shape. Is this something that I want to be doing, spending time invested in? And if so, like this is my the sort of, you know, sort of zone of genius that I that I can be operating within. So I would say, yeah, you know, it's it's always uh, it's always the right time to, to kind of ex- experiment, experiment with your with yourself and sort of figure out those things and you know why wait in doing so i love it that's great advice I, let's end there everybody connect with with elliot on linkedin and elliot thanks again for doing this thanks so much great to be here jess okay bye everyone